0: Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the Scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free eBooks, visit AssuranceofPardon.com/Logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas.
1: I'm Gage Jordan, lead pastor of First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee.
0: Gage, glad to be back with you and our listeners. After uh, we, we have been, we have not. Uh, been very diligent in recording this podcast. It's almost as though we also are pastors who have uh, growing congregations and uh, uh, a lot on our plate, but it is always a joy. It's always a joy we can get back and and record today. Um, And so good to be back with our listeners today. Uh, Speaking of our listeners, we want to point our listeners to our friends at the Society of Reformed Podcasts. Gage, can you explain what that's about?
1: Yeah, so we have the privilege of being a part of essentially a network of Reformed podcasts, some Presbyterians, some Reformed Baptists, but all united under the the theology of the Reformation. And there's a lot lot of great variety of podcasts uh, in this network, anything from church planning to working through confessions. To uh, dealing with the, the latest conversations of the day, to just giving you uh, theological topics to to listen to devotionally, um, lot, lots of great podcasts. You can look at on the website at reformpodcasts.com, with an s uh, dot com, and you can see the whole list uh, of our partners there. You can also, when you uh, look up your whatever you listen to your podcast on, there's a mega feed uh, called the Society of Reform Podcasts, and you can listen to all of them in one location, including Assurance of Pardon. We would highly recommend that to you.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, we uh, are taking one of our many breaks from our uh, Seeing Jesus in the Old Testament uh, series. We will uh, be coming back to that soon to talk about where are we next? Are we at Isaiah yet? We're Is in
1: Je- Jeremiah. We just finished Jeremiah. up Isaiah, so we'll be, we'll be in the next major prophet Jeremiah here soon.
0: So we're um, we're excited about that. We also have a, an episode coming up soon where we're going to have a special guest that we were, are excited um, in an upcoming episode. We're going to be interviewing uh, Greg Kokel with StandToReason.org about his new book, Street Smarts. And we're super excited about that. So hopefully that will be posting Uh, late next week, so be on the lookout for that. Gage, today we're talking about a topic that is, if you are in any, uh, uh, if you begin to go down the rabbit hole that is Reformed theology, uh, you begin to see that uh, there are a number of debates that the Reformed world is having with itself. There is the one about um, psalmody. Do we sing psalms? And if we do, do we sing them exclusively or inclusive? Uh, that's a debate. You'll see people that are strong have strong opinions on either side. We're not talking about that today. There are debates about baptism. Do we baptize uh, uh, only those who've made a profession of faith or believers in their household? We've had talks about that. You and I both believe in paedo-baptism, uh, that, that the, what we see in the New Testament is believers in their household. Um, but one of the debates that you will see as you begin to look around the Reformed world, is what is the relationship between the church and the state? Um, and there are sort of two camps that you see that are both pitched on either side of the divide and yelling at each other from across the divide. And on the, the, the one side of the camp, you have um, two kingdoms theology. The idea, this is a uh, a, a Lutheran idea. This is very popular at Westminster Seminary, California, is that there are two kingdoms, and that as Christians we have, uh, and I, I don't want uh, we have dual citizenship. We have the king, we have the kingdom of this world, and we have the church, and um, both of those are God's two kingdoms, but they are they have different purposes, and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, Ag- um, August- Augustine also made that uh, kind of popular with uh, City of God. So yeah. Um,
0: uh, and then the other side would be the 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 debate that you will hear from some that is sometimes called theonomy. Sometimes it's called Christian nationalism. Doug Wilson has a book out called Mere Christendom, and it is a different way of viewing the relationship between the church and the state. And what you often find, whatever side you're on, is that you'll 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 kind of find old guys talking about some things around this debate and you'll ascribe your view to them, but they don't actually use those categorical terms. Like there's nothing, there's, and so everybody claims that tradition is on their side, not on the other side. Go ahead, Gage.
1: Yeah. I would add one more kind of team to the party. Right. Right. Uh, you also have what's called transformationalist. Um, this was made popular by guys like Abraham Kuyper, for example. Yes, uh, And then and, and, uh, Tim Keller would sometimes get lumped into this, this category. Uh, so the idea is that you're constantly looking at the culture and trying to figure out how to transform the culture in, into Christian ideals. Right. So, so when, you know, and, and Scott, as you're, you're thinking through this, the way it was always explained to me, at least in seminary, that I, I found helpful, is if you think about it in a Venn diagram of three different circles, they're all three camps are asking the same question, but they're arriving at it from different vantage points, right? All, all three are asking the question about, um, you know, how should we think about this, or how should we live live in light of this reality? How are we to live as citizens, uh, as Christian citizens, where we where we are? And depending on which camp you're in, they're going to approach that question of how do we live as citizens in this world from a different vantage point? Are, are we trying to transform the culture? Are we a different kingdom altogether and we do our own thing, they do our own thing? Or are we trying to um, in, uh, implement and and push uh, the reign of Christ as much as possible?
0: Yeah, so uh, we're actually going to, take a, 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 an interesting view today is because we are Presbyterians and we, uh, uh, we, we believe that the Westminster Confession of Faith is a, a, a helpful, uh, historic uh, summary of what the Bible teaches. And chapter 23 of the Westminster Confession of Faith is on the civil magistrate, <clears throat> and what we're going what you're going to hear as you read it is that the words two kingdoms the words theonomy the words christian nationalism the words mere Christendom aren't in it and so rather than saying rather than making a rigorous defense for two kingdoms or making a rigorous defense for um, christian nationalism and let me let me say why i think christian nationalism is such a confusing phrase is because um there's not a there's not a lot of agreement in the broad world as to what that even means. Um, for example, um, if you're if you live in Moscow, Idaho, Doug Wilson would say here's what Christian, Christian nationalism is. But then if you're a reporter for MSNBC. You're gonna you're gonna uh, say if you're a conservative Christian who thinks abortion ought to be illegal, you're a Christian nationalist. Right. So they're they're um, if you, and so they will take all sorts of of uh, basket of positions and just sum all of it up as Christian nationalists. So they would say they would probably say MSNBC, CNN, uh, entities on the left would even listen to somebody like a. Um, like a Michael Horton, who's a Two Kingdoms guy, and they might find out that Michael Horton uh, is pro-life, and they would go ahead and lump him in a a basket that they're calling Christian nationalism. So it's not a helpful phrase to just throw out there and say, I hold to this, because there's a lot of unpacking that's necessary.
1: Yeah, so uh, in the beginning of C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, he uses he talks about this this idea right of language and he says okay let's take for example the epistemology behind the history of the word gentleman he said during the medieval days a gentleman was a a landowner uh, that's what a gentleman was uh, he said but somehow along the way gentlemen started to become a term of endearment for someone that was moral upright had great character was was nice to people um he said and the problem is if we start doing that with with all sorts of words then words don't mean anything at all and i think if we're if we're not careful um and and he he eventually uh, lumps it and applies it to what how we're defining what christianity is right? right but for the sake of the argument here i think it's helpful to apply that principle um In these terms, because you think about evangelical, for example, Um, a hundred years ago. Even before that, even during the time post Reformation, right after the Reformation, right right around the time that documents like the Westminster Confession of, of Faith was written, an evangelical was someone who believed in spreading the gospel to all the nations. Right, even as early as the beginning of the twentieth century, you had guys like John Stott and Billy Graham who would label themselves as evangelicals, and they were that we were part of evangelical churches. And but now evangelicals ha- has become a political term right especially since the 80s that would that is a a group of people that particularly normally the the right is trying to w- win their vote um, and it, what it means in the political world is vastly different than what it means in the church world a lot of times. Um, and really now what it means to be evangelical is so broad and so different. We don't even know what it means anymore. I think a lot of times too, if we're not careful, um, the media will push the, the term Christian nationalism to be Nazism, right? Um, and people will get really confused because they'll hear that term and they'll freak out Uh, that you're calling someone that because they're thinking about neo-Nazis, right. And, and, and racist terrorist, they're not thinking about it in terms of how do we live as citizens in in the world. I think that also confuses this conversation. Yeah.
0: Anytime, anytime a word becomes sort of a slur that the other side is, is using, Mm -hmm. um, then we need to be extra careful in how we employ it. So Sure. I run into this often with people say, are you a Calvinist? And I'll say, what do you mean by that? What do you think Calvinists believe? And That's right. then they will, they'll roll out a description of what they think Calvinism is. And I will often go, Oh, I'm not that. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not whatever you just described. I'm not that. Yes. Um, so anyway, so, um, all right, we're going to, uh, Gage and I are going to be uh, reading chapter 23 together of the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'm going to be reading I've got in both of us have in front of us uh Chad Van Dixhorn's uh, very helpful commentary confessing the faith uh, on the Westminster Confession of Faith. I'm going to be reading the modern version and it's sure. only four or five short paragraphs and we're we're going to to read a paragraph and talk about what it means, and just kind of walk through it just like that. So starting in Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 23.
1: Sorry, before we get in that, let me just back up just a second. For readers that may not be familiar, for those that aren't Presbyterian, um, let me offer just a couple of quick kind of background notes. Um, When we talk about civil magistrate, um, we're talking about the government. We're talking about Agents right. of the government, like, like, um, in, in their day, it would have been kings, in our day, it's presidents and governors and mayors and, and policemen and things like that. Um, the other thing is, if you're not familiar with Presbyterian theology and what the Westminster Confession of Faith, we hold to a doctrinal statement mm-hmm. that's summarized in chapters, like the one yes. we're going to re- read here in just a minute and also explained through a question and answer format called catechisms there's a larger catechism where the questions are longer and answers are longer there's a um shorter catechism where the questions and answers are shorter uh, both are helpful and we would we would commend you to grab a grab a copy um the uh, the other thing that uh we want to explain is kind of the background here so this this particular confession was written at Westminster Abbey um, if you're a Beatles fan, it, it's, you know, they walk across Abbey road. It's in that, that area of, of, of England. Um, and they were tasked, these were ministers from England and Scotland that were tasked by the government over a 10 year period of time to write a book of theology, um, of what they believed, uh, because at the time there was what's called the 30 years war where, where there was this fighting happening, some some religiously over Catholics and Protestants and some just over other other things. But during this wartime, they were tasked over ten years to write this body of doctrine. It's about uh it's over five almost five hundred years old. It is five hundred years old, it's written in the sixteen hundreds. Um, and uh we have a few changes that we adopted as americans because we don't have a king this chapter being one of those that, that was adjusted slightly but overall every presbyterian across all of the world for the most part holds to this body body of doctrine or
0: or is supposed to yes yes there you go. agreed there you go. yeah there you go. all right uh, westminster confession of faith thanks for that background westminster confession of faith chapter 23 section 1 and this is very brief god the Supreme Lord and King of all the world has ordained civil authorities to be under him over the people for his own glory and the public good for this purpose. He has armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of those who are good and the punishment of those who do evil. Uh, That that's pretty straightforward, right? God has, God has chosen in his kindness that civil leaders would wield the sword in a way that serves the public good, that that glorifies God, encourages the good, and punishes evildoers. Um, and so, uh, it is it, it is the one of the purposes, according to the Westminster Confession of Faith, is that um, is that the civil authorities exist for His own glory, because God is glorified when those who are doing good are protected and when those who are doing evil are stopped. And the, the, the way that that happens in our world is through the sword. Um, it, uh, and so I think that's pretty clear. Um, Gage, you have any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I think a couple of things that is worth noting first, uh, the, the very first statement that as Christians and even, Even if you don't believe in God, this statement still is true. God is the Supreme Lord and King over all the world. He's the creator. Therefore, he is the highest authority. So I love that the divines start from that vantage point. Let's talk about who the authority in the room is. It's God. Therefore, God gets to to set the rules on how things are. How did he set the rules? He put governments in place for the purpose of protecting people defending them and encouraging them by executing justice right justice is supposed to be uh right and pure and and good right it, it is a reflection of god it's the shorter catechism question 4 when it lists the the attributes um that aren't just related to god but that we share as his image bearers justice, goodness, and truth are on the list, right? So so the, the government is supposed to be executing those things. It also lets you know on the forefront as Presbyterians that we believe in capital punishment, right? That that say, that can be politically a, a controversial topic. Um, and we don't want to go down the rabbit hole of arguing for le- the legitimate, legitimacy of all of that. But what it does say here is the government for the per for this purpose of what purpose of God's glory and the public good has been armed with the power of the sword, right? For the punishment of those who are evil. Um, so that, that lets you know, another thing is we have to define what good is and we have to define what evil is. Uh, right. And, and um, law does that. Let, let me also say this because we were having this conversation uh, yesterday in Sunday school, we're going through John. So in chapter six, after Jesus feeds the 5,000, uh, the verse says that they wanted to force him to be king. And so we started talking about politics. And I made the statement to them, and I would make it here too. Politics in and of itself is not inherently evil, but because of sin, there can be inherent evil in politics. And I think that's an yep. important distinction. Yeah.
0: Well, uh, what the confession does after establishing that that civil authorities are ordained by God with this purpose for His glory, the second question that you might think is okay. Well, if they are under Him and over the people, uh, can a Christian be engaged in politics? Can a Christian hold public office? Can they can they be a civil magistrate? And so, chapter uh, twenty three uh, point two says. It is lawful for Christians to hold public office when called to it. In such office, they ought especially to maintain piety, justice, and peace according to the wholesome laws of each commonwealth. For that purpose, they may now, under the New Testament, lawfully wage war upon just and necessary occasion. Sometimes, sometimes uh, a nation— or a, 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 a nation will have to engage in war. It is necessary, why, to encourage the good and to punish those who are evil.
1: So, uh, uh, three things I want to point out here. Number one, whether whatever copy you get, we love Chad. We'll say it again. We love Chad Van Dixhorn's book, Confessing the Faith. We would commend it to you. We'll we'll try to put a, a link in the in the show notes. Um, but if you get a copy of the confession. Uh, make sure you're getting one with scriptural proofs, because every sentence that they're going to put together here, you're going to see little footnotes throughout your copy. And it'll tell you that they're where they're getting these concepts or these statements from the text, because they make three statements here that I think are, are, are significant. Number Number one, that a Christian can hold political office that's that's an important statement number 2 that there is such thing as a just war right you may hear it referred to as just war theory that if you're going to engage in war there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it right so this kind of pushes against the pacifist position right we're right. not pa- we're not pacifists as presbyterians um and and then number 3 that that implies the right to bear arms right because you're gonna have to bear the sword and or some sort of arm in order to defend and protect and execute justice so we also aren't anti-gun as Presbyterians Um, interesting enough historically and and we're gonna we'll probably get into this further with some of the explanation here so Scott if you had had some thoughts stop me here historically it was statements like this that pushed for the American Revolution. And and the American Revolution could also be called the, the Presbyterian Revolution, because mm-hmm. it, a, a lot of the Presbyterian ministers that were in the colonies, actually, um, this was part of their theology that uh, informed when and how and why they took the actions they did to form our nation.
0: Yeah. Um, section three, section three. Um, and again, reading for the modern version. Um, so we've talked about that. We, we've defined that what civil authorities that they're ordained by God and that they have a, a narrow role. And that narrow role is to wield the sword, to encourage the good and to, and to punish the the bad. Christians can engage in those things. But the third thing it says there's some things that the that the civil authority cannot do. 23:3 says civil authorities may not assume to themselves the administration of the word and the sacraments or the keys of the kingdom of heaven nor should they interfere in any way in matters of faith. So we'll stop right there. Yep. The civil authorities cannot do the things that God has given the church to do the, 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 I live in the state of Arkansas, the state of Arkansas does not baptize people. It does not serve them the Lord's supper. It does not pronounce the forgiveness of sins on account of Christ. That is, that is outside of their lane. So then what is the, what is the role of the civil authority as it relates to the church? And it's going to go on to say, so, um, First, that they not do the things that God has given to the church to do. Second, that they don't interfere with any of the things that God has given the church to do. Uh, Yet, what do they do? As caring fathers, it is the duty of the civil authority to protect the church of our common Lord without giving preference to any denomination of Christians above the rest. In such so what the Westminster Confession of Faith 233 is saying is that the state, although they are not to engage in the work that the church does or interfere with it in any way, they are to protect the right of the Christian Church, not any particular denomination, the Christian Church to do what she does, without any encumberment. And so it goes on, yet as caring fathers, it's the duty of the civil authorities to protect the church of our common Lord without giving preference to any denomination of Christians doing so above the rest, doing so in such a way that all church authorities, that means uh, presbyteries, that means sessions, the board of elders at a local church. That means the general assembly of the Presbyterian church in America. That means Um, That means uh, bishops in the Anglican church Um, doing so in such a way that all church authorities shall enjoy the full, free, and unquestioned liberty of carrying out every part of their sacred functions without violence or danger what is being said here is that the government can't tell me and you what we can and cannot preach in our pulpits.
1: Yeah and I, and I think that that's important for a number of reasons one let's let's p- piggyback up off what we were saying earlier about the American Revolution. At the time of uh, the American Revolution, the pulpit was a um, place of social platform. Right, that that a lot of ideas of culture of how we should live, as how we we should interact in the world, what kind of uh, workers we should be, all of those things were were oftentimes driven from the pulpit, and even the culture ideas of the day were talked about from the pulpit. If you go back and read a lot of the Great Awakening um, uh, sermons, guys like Jonathan Edwards and George Whitfield and and others during the the time of the American Revolution, so the mid seventeen hundreds you'll see that some of the things they're talking about deal with the ideas of, of the day and how we should think about them. Um, so it, it's interesting that before that even happens, al- almost a 100 years prior to that, you have these guys saying, hey, the the government can't dictate to us what we can and can't say from this pulpit. We are not a platform for the government. That then implies that we don't believe in state church, right there. This is the reason we're not Anglican, right? Um, because initially Anglicans hold their membership with the church at, of England. Right. And that is a government church started by King Henry VIII because he wanted to divorce his wife and the, and the Pope yeah. wouldn't let him, which we're going to get into that in 23, four, a little bit, mm-hmm. but, um, th- we don't believe in state church. Right. Right.
0: We don't believe we don't because, but, but, but we don't believe that the, that the state has the power that has been given to the church. Um, what the confession is saying is that the, the power that the state has is to protect a the Christian church to do her duty. Let me pick back up as Jesus Christ has appointed regular government and discipline in his church. No law of any commonwealth, that means a county, a city council, or the state of Tennessee, the federal government, or the United Nations, um, <clears throat> no law of any commonwealth should interfere with, prevent, or hinder their proper exercise among the voluntary members of any denomination of Christians according to their own profession and belief. It is the duty of civil authorities to protect the person and and good name of all their people in such an effective manner that no person be allowed, either in the name of religion or of unbelief, to offer any indignity, violence, abuse, or injury to any other person whatsoever. They should also take care that all religious and ecclesiastical assemblies be held without interference or disturbance. And so this does bring up the question of Is the church bound to obey the state when the state says you cannot meet because of a pandemic? And it, it, I think, it would say, uh, and our listeners may be divided on this. According to the Westminster Confession of Faith, they would say that the church, that the state, cannot disturb or interfere with our assemblies. They should take care that all religious and ecclesiastical assemblies, which a Sunday, n- n- nobody would debate whether or not a Sunday morning church service, whether or not that that is a, a Sunday morning church service is a religious and ecclesiastical assembly yes, and that it be held without interference or disturbance. That yes. is the, that is the, the, that is the reformed view of the the state and what the state can do and what the state cannot do this is um um so uh, i love how the the confession is so good at just creating categories of going here's god here's what he has done here's the state and here's what he has given it the work to do here is the church and he's given them the work that they're to do and they 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 it, it just the the clear fences here where everybody knows what their marching orders is uh helps with confusion let me read you what um let me read what 23 4 says then uh what we've heard now what the states relationship go ahead gage
1: sorry before we before we get there um because i know where we're where we're headed in 23 4 i want to touch on just a couple of things it does it's hard to read 23.3 and not lean uh, libertarian in your ideas of of being concerned about government overreach <clears throat> at, at, at times, right? Uh, you also see the influence of these guys on our founding fathers who came up with things like the separation of church and state, right? Like uh, we want the freedom to be able to worship the way in which we want to worship without you trying to dictate to us what's happening. That comes a hundred years after during this time you, you had uh, the church of England sitting in Anglican bishops into a Presbyterian church and Presbyterian women picking up stools and chunking them at the Anglican priests for trying to enact masses. Like that doesn't just, it didn't just, it wasn't just an idea that they thought hey, this sounds like a good, good idea. Let's add this to the list of 10 things that we think are important. There was context yeah. behind it. But also, you're absolutely right. It makes you, at, at minimum, and we can de- debate the merits of uh, care for the neighbor and, and health concerns and all of those things. And, and that's not what we're going to do on this episode, but, but I understand the thought process. But it, it, at minimum, makes us at least go, okay, if we were faced with this situation again, looking at chapter 23 section 3 would we have done things differently would we should we have handled things differently should yeah. we repent of the way in which we we did those things at least forces those that are, those are
0: those are good questions to have yeah. and and regarding the separation of church and state we should be we should be clear what What the separation of church and state, which is not in the Constitution, it's a it's a it's a phrase in a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptist Association, who was worried that there was going to be a state church. Correct, and he 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 says it was a a, a, he describes something of a one way clause to keep the state out of the church, not the other way around, and that. The only one who can who can violate the First Amendment, I would contend, is Congress. Congress shall establish no law. That's right. Um, and so it's talking about uh, at the federal level, uh, because at the time at the time of the of the Constitution, the although there was no uh, federal although there was no federal uh, denomination, there were individual colonies and states that did have relationships with. With churches that's right. and the founders apparently saw no no contradiction in that. Sure, um, and so it was it was. But anyway, I don't want to. I'm, I'm trying to. I'm trying for us to stay in our lane and not delve into um, constitutional commentary and a civics sure. lesson. Yes, um, yes. Because I will get. A, 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 I will. I will get out over my skis. Uh, sure. That's if I do that.
1: that that's true. I, I will. I will say this. This though this helps you at least understand um, that it was Christians that, that developed the idea of religious liberty. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, a lot of people will say at this point, especially when they read section 23, where it says in, the modern clause says any denomination, the, you know, the, the original doesn't say any denomination, but it, but it that's essentially what it means. Right. Um, they had the church in mind, that so, we'll, so as Americans in the 21st century, we will say things like, "Well, what about pluralism? Don't we believe in? Aren't we a pluralistic society? Don't we believe in the in the rights and and freedoms of all religions everywhere? To, and and that we should have equal rights everywhere." Uh, again, that's another episode for another day that we could really get into. However, here they don't have all the other religions and no they
0: heart. are not they are not the the Westminster Confession of Faith is not making any carve-outs or set asides for Islam here. No it is talking it is talking about the churches of our common Lord. Uh it is the, the Westminster Confession of Faith is is not intending to protect the right of Buddhists and Muslims whatsoever. It is but, talking about a relationship between the Christian church and the state and saying that if If Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. um, Yeah. So anyway, I would would
1: also, I would also, I would also say this though. Um, If you, if you, as a Presbyterian, especially as, as a part of a member of the Presbyterian church in America, we, this is our doctrinal statement. We also have bylaws called the book, book of church order in conjunction with this idea in the preface of the book of church order. It talks about, the civil magistrate, and it talks about the church, and it describes them like two planets in orbit uh, around Christ um, that exist together with with one another, but aren't aren't interfering with one another. That said, I don't want you to hear what we're not saying here before we get into twenty three four. Yeah, um, what we're not saying is when it talks about the government shouldn't interfere with the the governing authorities. In Within the church is that if there's an abuse case, if someone is being hurt or assaulted, that we we're going to handle it internally and we're not going to get any authorities involved and you need to worry about what we're doing and and not protect anyone u- using the arm of the state. That's not that's not what it's saying and that's why we no, have
0: yeah. Because because when there is an abuse case, when there is a uh when there is a husband who is beating his wife, um a a law, a civil law has been broken. That's right. And 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 therefore the civil magistrate has a has a place uh to sp- to speak into that. That is it's not the court that we are a part of, but we don't we don't um, eliminate them from that process. And so, yes, if law, if civil laws have been broken um, and then, then those civil authorities are, are to be notified without a doubt for the, for the, for the good of the victim.
1: That's exactly uh, right. For
0: sure. 23.4 says in the modern version, it is the duty of the people to pray for those in authority, to honor them, to pay them taxes and other revenue, to obey their lawful commands. It's interesting that it puts the phrase lawful in there, to obey their lawful commands and to be subject to their authority for the sake of conscience. Neither unbelief nor difference in religion makes void the just and legal authority of office holders, nor frees the people, church authorities included, from their due obedience to them. Much less does the Pope have any power or jurisdiction over civil authorities in their domains or over any of their people, nor can he deprive them of their domains or lives if he shall judge them to be heretics or on any pretense whatsoever. There's a little, obviously, you kind of, you, re, you read that, you go, the, the Westminster authors uh, had some particular thing in mind when that's going on there of, of the, the the Pope in Rome overstepping his bounds and doing things as we have seen the papacy do over over time doing things that are outside of his uh, outside of his authority um, and so yeah so what we what 234 is saying is christians are to pray for those in authority to honor and pay their taxes and to hmm. obey their commands as long as they are lawful hmm. um, we we see places where the the disciples in the book of acts are told by the civil authorities to quit preaching the gospel and do they obey? They do not obey. That is not a lawful command. That is not a lawful command. We see Paul being snuck out of town in a basket. Um, yes. um so that he can get back out to preaching the gospel. That's exactly so right. We see civil disobedience in in the Bible, um, when when it is called for, when it is necessary. So um, we folks- also see
1: see the call, we also see the call for praying for the authority, right? It, there's yeah. not a there's not a footnote there that says if he's the guy you voted for right, right. it just That's says right. pray for the authority the 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 other thing too you know is um the idea uh of the issue with the pope is uh in the in the Roman Catholic Church when the and i'm I'm not good at Latin so I can't tell you what it's called but essentially there's a time when the pope whoever he is sits on a certain chair and when he speaks ex cathedra there you go yes. uh and he whenever he is sitting in his chair speaking ex cathedra it is believed that he is infallible and without error um that he's st- speaking divinely and there were times historically when this would happen where the pope would say things uh against Kings and governments that weren't doing what he thought they should be doing the way in which they should be doing them. Uh, and if the citizens weren't going to listen, they were going to be burned at the stake or, or whichever um, that's the context behind the Westminster divines saying, yeah, the guy with the hat sitting in the chair doesn't get to dictate to me how that works. Um right. Uh, that's not the way we're going to do things. Also, that's not biblical. The only thing that is infallible is God and by extension, his word, uh, that he has given us that those are the things that are, are infallible and that's the, the highest authority and, and should the government encroach or push back against what the scriptures say, like in the case of acts, um, that's a no, no that, that that's where biblical civil disobedience is allowed.
0: Yep, folks. We hope this has been helpful. Um, we we uh, we we purposefully didn't didn't plant our flag in one of the the modern uh, one of the sort of positions. Uh, we just wanted to lay out Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter Twenty Three, and let you wrestle with it. Let you wrestle with it. We would encourage you to to um, read it, read the uh, read the verses that um, that are cited uh, as as. Texts to back up the positions that the Westminster Confession is taking uh, to read through those and, and wrestle with it. And we hope it, it gave you some good categories to think through who the state is, who the church is, what God's given the state to do, what God's given the church to do, that the church can't do what the state does. The state can't do what the church does. And that the church is to protect the, the, the church is to pray for the state and the state is to protect the church. That's, That's
1: exactly right.
0: And members of the church can serve in offices in the state.
1: Yep. We're, we're not anti-politics.
0: No, we're not. We're not. Um, we're not um, Amish uh, in that regard. That's, that's right. So anyway, folks, we hope this has been helpful. Um, we would love it if you would go on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a a five-star review uh, and a ranking and uh, share this with your friends um and go back and listen to some other episodes uh, we had more i wanted to get into but we've we've uh run longer already than we usually do for our episodes but um that, sound, will... that
1: sounds like a a teaser for a part two scott
0: yeah it might be it might be so uh yep
1: Absolutely. Well, if you have any questions about anything we talked about in this episode or any other episode for that matter, you can always hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Uh, you can reach out to the uh, website and, and send us a message there at assuranceofpardon.com or you can email us at contact at And Until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless.